You're listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. For more interviews with many of the world's most inspiring business leaders, uploaded daily, download Tiger Hall from the App Store or Google Play. Hybrid work is here to stay. But as many organizations are finding, it's not easy to get right. We're speaking to Kausik Rajkapal, Chief Human Resources Officer at PayPal. And in the conversation you're about to hear, Kausik explains what PayPal have been finding in terms of structuring hybrid work, how this impacts company culture, and how they've been grappling with the inclusivity issues that can come with dispersed teams. Okay, Kausik, I'd love to hear from you what PayPal are doing with hybrid work. How are you, how are you structuring things? What are you finding? Our approach to hybrid work has been informed by a few guiding principles. Uh, They include, first of all, employee health and safety, flexibility in how we work, which is really a privilege we have as a digital business, and equity in how we come back together to ensure that everybody has an inclusive experience. What we found during the pandemic was that people were just as productive Mm. uh, operating remotely. And we recognize that that's a privilege we have as a digital business. The majority of the workforce did not have that privilege. Healthcare workers, retail workers, service workers had to show up in person. But as a digital business, we found that we were quite productive. And what we found in listening to our employees during that period was they wanted to come back together in a purposeful and intentional way for in-person interactions as much as, if not more for community and connectivity as it was for productivity. Uh, The metaphor I like to use here is to think of remote work for digital businesses enabling productivity. And we can think of productivity as the bricks of, of an edifice, but the community and connectivity is the mortar between the bricks that holds the bricks together. And that I think in a purely remote model tends to erode because you don't have the couple of minutes before or after a meeting checking in with somebody about how the weekend went or what their kids are up to. And over time, I think the stuff begins to matter. But we said, in the main, we have confidence and conviction that we we can be very productive in a hybrid model. And so the hybrid model we are moving to is something that we're calling virtual flex, except for certain roles that are tied to physical sites, like our security services or cafeteria services, the vast majority of the company is moving to a virtual flex model. And what virtual flex means is recognizing that we can do our work as default virtually, but we will come together in person in intentional and purposeful ways from time to time. And the frequency and nature of those in-person interactions will vary depending on the nature of the work. We want to be guided by the nature of the work, the the work that we do for our customers, the work that we do in the course of building community with our employees. So for some jobs, this may mean coming back together twice a week on, on two particular days a week. For other roles, it may mean coming back together for two to three days in a row once a month to align on critical roadmap meetings or to celebrate a product launch or what have you. But the principles underlying the return are preserving and strengthening the flexibility that we discovered as a digital business during the pandemic, while also ensuring that 
we are guided by the nature of the work and create opportunities for employees to engage in an inclusive way so that we also uphold the principle of employee equity. So in these um, virtual flex modes, we have invested quite a bit in our real estate facilities, in our video conferencing facilities, so that people who are operating uh, from, a, from, from home, if they're interacting with people who may be at a site, can engage in a thoughtful and seamless way. Like every other employer that has engaged in this great experiment, we also are humble in recognizing that we may not get it, get it all right initially, but we will, as we have always done, listen to employee feedback and learn and evolve these models as we go. The feedback so far, based on our dialogue with managers and with employees, is very positive. Employees appreciate the flexibility that the virtual flex model gives them, and they appreciate that it is guided by the nature of the work that they are doing, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, everybody needs to be in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and that's it. So we believe that this virtual flex approach brings together the best of what we learned during the pandemic, while also focusing on and finding ways to rebuild the mortar between the bricks uh, to create Mm -hmm. community and connectivity in addition to productivity. It sounds uh, it sounds great. I'd love to hear a bit more about your process and what has informed the policies. You mentioned surveys and feedback. I'd love to hear how you actually did these and the sort of questions you're asking. Yeah, so we did rolling employee surveys, and we've always done them, but obviously they took on greater importance and urgency during the pandemic because listening to the voice of our employees was quite important. We brought together a cross-functional team on behalf of the entire company, that included participation from our security teams, from our communications teams, from our employee advocacy and HR teams to listen to employees to process the feedback from the surveys. We asked questions like, how included do you feel in remote interactions? How productive do you feel in remote interactions? Would you like to come back in person? Uh, If so, what are the most important reasons for you to come back in person? So in in the questions that we asked in the surveys, we sought to understand not just what employees were thinking and feeling, but also why they were thinking and feeling those things. And we combined that survey feedback with lots of employee listening in our different sites uh, and in our different teams to get a more qualitative perspective Uh, in addition to the quantitative input that we might have gotten from the surveys. And finally, we also recognized that we didn't want to just be inwardly focused. Uh, We wanted to be humble in recognizing that we may not have all the answers, and lots of other employers are conducting experiments here as well. So we did a fair bit of talking to and listening to other employers across financial services and technology in particular, which are the sectors we participate in to get their input and perspectives on what was working and what wasn't. So by listening to our employees and looking externally for best practices and perspectives, uh, we got a pretty good sense for what would make sense for our culture and our values of inclusion, innovation, Mm. collaboration, and wellness. Looking externally, was there anything that you sort of thought, oh, that company's doing that, we absolutely cannot do that at PayPal, it won't work, or vice versa? 
Uh, not any particular company, but I would say in general, we stayed away from last year trying to mandate people back in uh, on specific days of the week. Uh, and right, yeah. I, I think it's helpful with the virus to have a level of humility. We don't know how the virus is going to evolve. So we are not going to banish the virus on particular days of the week from our office space. And uh, I think we stayed away from doing that. And I'm glad we did that. Yeah. So a lot of questions that we're getting at Tiger Hall is how to structure, you know, some companies are doing week on week off or 50%. And what I'm hearing from a lot of people is actually quite a lot of resentment when they are mandated to go back when they don't want to go back quite that amount or or even at all. How have you dealt with that? Or maybe not how you dealt with it, but, but what are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the way I would frame it is to say that um, there are employer preferences and there is an underlying employer interest. And I think it's always helpful to begin and end by focusing on the underlying interest. The underlying interest for a company is to be productive in service of its customers and to build a strong culture with its employees in line with its values. I don't think it's much more complicated than that, whatever the company may be. Every company has its own rich set of history, culture, and values. But I think sometimes we can get confused between interests and preferences. So you may have preferences about how to deepen connectivity or community. You may have preferences about how work gets done. And I think employers have to recognize when they're having a preference or expressing a preference relative to their underlying interest. And if the underlying interest is we want to be productive and we also want to build community, our realization was that moving to a virtual flex model could actually enable that just fine. And we didn't need to all be back in the office physically on particular days of the week or a certain percentage of the time. And uh, our value of innovation, we seek to innovate for the customer uh, and our value of inclusion, we seek to do it in a way that includes everybody, guided us to the virtual flex model to say, let's be guided by the nature of the work. Does the nature of the work, which is the underlying interest to deliver for our customers, does that require somebody to be in person? If yes, if we believe that for certain teams, yes, we guide them to be in person for a particular period of time. But if it doesn't, let's not try to force everybody into a one-size-fits-all model. And I think employees appreciate that, particularly in this day and age where people have lots of options. Uh, we are in the technology space where there is a war for talent underway, and we want to be competitive for that talent uh, in addition to celebrating and living our values and building our culture. I would love to get your take on how leaders can think about culture and inclusivity when it comes to hybrid. This is another thing that comes up again and again. Getting this right is really tricky. What, what can people be doing? Yeah, it's a great question. And to some extent, I think the pandemic and the shift, particularly for digital businesses to the remote model, actually made it a little bit easier for managers to be inclusive. And what I mean by that is if you're having a fully remote meeting, everybody's remote and nobody's in person, you can literally go around the squares on your screen and make sure that you've heard from everybody. And one of the great findings for us in our surveys was that overwhelmingly, employees felt included and supported by their manager and the company. And we did a lot to invest in people during the pandemic to live our values of inclusion, generous crisis leave, 
we started doing wellness days. Which wellness is one of our values. And every couple of months, we shut down the entire company so that nobody is getting pinged by email, Slack, text, etc. And it's a day that you take for yourself to rest and recharge. And that was incredibly well-received. It was inclusive in the sense that it was a day off for everybody. And one of my favorite things to do on Wellness Day is to actually uh, go on LinkedIn at the end of the day and just see what people have been up to because they post about, I went to visit my parents. I went hiking with my dog. Uh, I painted. And these are wonderful expressions of the whole person that we encourage people to bring to work. And the Wellness Days really celebrate that for people. As we move to a hybrid model on your question about inclusion, there is a bigger premium on managers paying attention to and having the peripheral vision to be inclusive in their day-to-day behaviors. Uh, As a simple example, if you're running a hybrid meeting and you're in person as a manager, and I did this this morning with eight people, uh, four including me in person, four on the screen, uh, I think it's a good reflex for managers in hybrid mode to first get input from people on the screen because the odds are that they are likely to be overlooked because we revert to our dynamic of let's just have a conversation with those in person. And somebody may be raising their hand and the screen is lit up, but you may not observe it because you're in conversation with the person uh, next to you, sitting next to you. So that's one simple mechanism with hybrid. Another mechanism that I love, which is an inclusion hack uh, I borrow from the U.S. Supreme Court, The U.S. Supreme Court is an incredibly hierarchical institution at some level because the justices have seniority. But when they sit down for case deliberations after oral argument, they follow a simple rule, which is that nobody speaks twice until everybody speaks once. And I find that to be a wonderfully simple and elegant mechanism that honestly every manager could adopt in the hybrid world. Nobody speaks twice until everybody speaks once. Maybe it's the first five minutes, maybe it's the first 10 minutes of a meeting, but it's an opportunity for everybody to be seen and heard. And I think managers who encourage those kinds of inclusive behaviors will be successful and thrive in the hybrid world. Mm. I love that. I love the the US Supreme Court uh, hack. That's really useful. We did a podcast a while ago, and um, the person I was speaking to was was talking about a company that they'd worked, which we couldn't name in the US, who had gone from being fully remote during COVID to they'd moved into a hybrid model. And it was such a disaster that within just a matter of weeks, they went, oh my gosh, this is too hard. We're going to go fully remote. We, from now on, we are just a fully remote company. So I, I mean, I, I wish that they had heard your podcast, first of all. But what what do you think? So, so from what I gather, it was the digital meetings trying to work. You know, some people are in the room, some people are on a screen. And I know that some people have tried, you know, if we're all if we're all in the office, maybe we should all log in on our individual screens so that we're matching the people at home on their individual screens. How do you do it? Do you have everyone up on on one big screen who's remote and everyone's just in the room? Or do you all log in separately? Now, it depends on the meeting. So I've seen, I've seen us operate in both modes. So there are some modes where there's enough distribution in the attendees that everybody is logging in. Uh, but if there is some concentration in who's in person, like in this case, 
there were eight people in the meeting, four were in person and four on the screen. That worked just fine. Where I think it gets harder is if it's just one or two people on the screen and 10 or 12 people in person. And, or, yeah. or, any, or even worse, if it's just only one person on the screen and then you have the phenomenon of the only uh, person who's not in person. And that's where I think you have to, as a manager, be that much more deliberate and thoughtful about inclusion. Uh, and the signals that you send as a manager in how you run meetings, in how you elicit input, in how you draw out people who may otherwise be remote or not participating as actively will be determinative, I think, of the success of hybrid models that we go to. Now, I don't pretend to have all the answers, just to be clear. This is just our best thinking as we, mm-hmm. uh, as we enter and operate in a hybrid mode. But we feel, based on the perspectives we have heard, quite confident that this will be, uh, this will be successful. And I have no doubt that we will learn and adapt as we go. The model I described to you may not be the model we have six months from now, but we are open in the spirit of humility to learning what works and what doesn't and adapting. Have you had any issues with people moving away during the pandemic and then they can't come into the office at all? This is another thing I keep hearing about. Many people have moved uh, to different places during the pandemic. Um, Many people moved for personal reasons, to be closer to a loved one, you know, uh, We've had people who have moved to be closer to aging parents, uh, and the pandemic had um, a poignant way of reminding people how much that mattered. And uh, so people have moved for all kinds of reasons, but personal reasons quite common among them. And for our hybrid model, we have leaned into that. So we have recruited more people remotely. So it used to be that we, re- that we would recruit people really in, fi- really in a way that is tied to physical sites. And we have an increasing share of remote workers who are not within, say, 30 miles uh, of a physical site. And we think that's more likely than not to accelerate over time as people make choices that enable them to live the lives they want. I do think a fundamental shift of the pandemic was a shift of people moving from finding ways to get their lives to fit into their work. And now increasingly people are thinking about how do I make my work fit into my life? As an employer that stands for inclusion and wellness as core values, we believe we need to lean into that reality and embracing remote workers, hiring more people remotely is a key part of that. And for us, it's also a talent strategy. We want to get the best talent for a particular role And the less encumbered we might be by the constraints of proximity to a physical site in a given geography, the better position we are to be able to compete for that talent. No, Kausik, one fear that I've heard, one concern I've heard from a few people who've either moved away during the pandemic or who are choosing to come into the office less now that there's a a hybrid option is, I mean, it it all harks back to the inclusive inclusivity it's the visibility of the people that go into the office they're going to have more interaction with the boss they're going to get more interesting projects when it comes to promotion time they're gonna they're gonna get it any thoughts on that yeah i can see how it is a concern i think that the translation of that concern to reality very much depends on the particular culture of the organization 
In our case, I would say, and in the case of lots of companies, we are sufficiently globally distributed that people were working pretty seamlessly across borders um, in a quote-unquote remote way, even perhaps before the pandemic, right? Uh, we have several thousand employees in Ireland, in India, in China, uh, in across Europe, in other parts of the world. And because we're a global company uh, and we had good people processes, I think we feel a sense of comfort. By no means do I claim complacency. <laughs> um, so I don't want to come across as overly sanguine. But we feel comfortable that with sufficient attention and focus um, to be intentional in how we interact with people, how managers coach and support people, how we evaluate and develop people, that it won't play out that way. Now, we will see how it does play out over the next, uh, over the next couple of years. Um, I can see how that can be a concern in certain cultures, but I'd say for global companies with distributed workforces that were um, engaging across borders within the same community of work or function or community of practice, I think that should be a manageable challenge to ensure that those kinds of FaceTime inequities don't occur. Okay, Kalsik, I'll just, uh, we can wrap up with some action steps, if you can share any things that people can be doing to get their hybrid plan up and running. So I would highlight three things. Um, the first is to have some kind of a simple framework for how you define hybrid. So for us, that framework was there are certain people, there are certain people who are fully virtual. The vast majority of people will be virtual flex and some people will be fully in person, a small percentage for certain roles. And I think that's a simple framework. It's a simple enough framework that everybody can see themselves in it and say, okay, I can see why I'm virtual. I can see why I'm in person. I can see why I'm virtual flex. The second thing I would say is within that framework, provide sufficient flexibility to people who are actually doing the work, the managers and leaders driving the work, to be able to define their work models. So some manager uh, may say, hey, for me, virtual flex means I want my team in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Another manager in a different business may say, I really don't care that they show up every week, but I'd like to get together one to two days every month to align on what we're doing. And I think giving that flexibility provides the underlying interest of the clarity of work models, but enables preferences based on the nature of the work to take root. So that's the second thing I would say. And then the third thing I would say is stress test whatever hybrid model you develop for equity. Because the questions I think you asked are the most important questions on will employees feel included? What are the pitfalls that may occur that may make employees feel less included? So things like the small inclusion hacks to get everybody talking in the room, um, things like processes and mechanisms to make sure that promotions don't go to those differentially with FaceTime, paying attention to that. Almost, I would say, conducting pre-mortems, if that's a term, uh, of <laughs> different outcomes and work backwards from that to say what was true for that outcome to occur um, from an equity perspective, I think could be really powerful. Mm. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Kalsik, for your advice. 